Welcome to the Draft Deeper Podcast. This is your host, Nathan Grubel. Joining me, as always, is my producer, Kevin Black. We have to do this, man. This is not only a conference finals preview pod for this 2021 NBA postseason, but it's a moratorium of sorts for the hometown Philadelphia 76ers as they fall to the Atlanta Hawks. It is the Milwaukee Bucks and the Hawks in the Eastern Conference Finals out West. We already knew the matchup. It's it's the Phoenix Suns and the Los Angeles Clippers. But we have to start in the East, Kevin, because that's, that is the team that we are the closest to. That's the team that I generally talk about the most. So I don't know if I'm ready to do this, man, but we're just going to do it. So Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons is the object of everyone's, I guess, non-affection. Now that the playoffs are over, he's going to get all of the buzz with some of his lackluster performances in the scoring department during the playoffs. Um, Now that I've had some time to sit down and really think about the situation, Doc Rivers came out and said that they have a plan to fix his jump shot and his shooting. They have a plan to do everything the right way. The word right was emphasized in the comments that he made today. We're recording this on June 21st. Um, Kevin, before I go into some of my thoughts, you've been the guy all along who said that Joel Embiid was going to be the best player on the 76ers, that this wasn't up for debate. I've eaten all my crow. You were right, along with everyone else that we had on from the overstated NBA show. But in your mind, Kevin, in your honest opinion, do you think that this situation is fixable in Philadelphia, or do you think that he has to be traded at this point? If he was in another city, like let's say he was in like Minnesota, right? Let's say he was in like Portland, right? And they flake out of the playoff like this. I actually think he can stay. But when you're in a city like Philly, you can't do what he did. Let, let me add a statistic for you, Nate. Do you know how many shots Ben Simmons took in the fourth quarter of all seven games combined? I'm, did he take zero? Was it he zero? Took, he took three. Three, okay. Which, he made all three, ironically. But when you're supposed to be the guy, right, you can't do that. At the end of the day, you have to show up. And Philly fans... I don't think we'll ever forgive him because this was a a year that you really could have won the title. The Nets were injured and flaked out of the playoffs. The Lakers were injured and didn't make it past the first round. Denver with Jamal Murray's injury. Utah had a flake out too because of Donovan, Mitchell, Donovan Mitchell's like iffy injury status. This was a year, man. Philly really should have won the chip this year. And I don't think uh, Philly fans will ever forgive him. But the issue is, if you're going to trade him, what are you going to get in return? I know you've brought up a few things, and I'll let you touch on that in your segment for this. But I've seen people want to trade him for Kemba, and that's ridiculous, first off. Who has said, who has said that? I, I've seen it on the draft and obviously not a thing, but I've seen it from some of the draft deeper uh, people you follow. Um, But obviously that's not it, right? Is there a trade that makes sense, that makes Philly better? 
because there's a chance that Ben Simmons actually puts in work for the first time ever on his shot. And maybe he gets better free throw line, and better could just be 60%, right? We're not even asking him to shoot 80-90%. But when you shoot 33% at the free throw line for a series, that's embarrassing. I could shoot 33% from the line. And I suck. I'm not saying Ben Simmons is a bad player, but it's completely unexcusable for him. So I'll, I'll turn it back to you now. I, th- I think I've said my piece. So your question of, is there a trade that makes the 76ers better that makes sense? On its face, I would say no. And the reason being is because they're not going to be able to trade for somebody like a Zach Levine or a Bradley Beal, someone that makes the absolute most sense as a second star to pair with Embiid, I don't think they're going to be able to pull off that level of a trade. But that being said, if Portland is willing to do a one-for-one swap, Ben Simmons, CJ McCollum, I'm a big CJ McCollum believer. I think he's had a fantastic career so far in Portland. I think had he been in the Eastern Conference, he definitely would have been an all-star by now because of the level of impact guard that he is, obviously being a 20-plus points per game uh, score every season in and out. That definitely helps the fact that he is lethal from the outside, one of the best shot creators as a guard the NBA has. The The other thing that's slept on, though, is that he, he is a good playmaker. He can be a really good pick-and-roll playmaker with the 76ers, with Embiid, um, he he was over a three to one assist to turnover ratio this year playing next to Dame, who is arguably the best pick and roll point guard in the NBA, or he's certainly one of the top three, if not the best. So I definitely think CJ can help in a variety of ways on on its face. That trade doesn't make them in theory better than what they are right now. But if you make that trade and then you tinker with the roster around that big three of Embiid, Harris and McCollum, I do think that the 76ers days as contenders in the East are not over, Um, especially when you have a player like Embiid who on any given night can look like the best player league wide. Um, And and he certainly did that at times this season, even at times this postseason, he looked like that level of impact star, that guy who can carry a team to a championship if he has the right pieces and the requisite help around him. There are so few guys in the history of basketball who can make a claim like we won a title solely because I'm here. Matter of fact, there may not be one because if you go back and you start piecing together who those guys are, everybody's had uh, maybe not a co-pilot on their level, but certainly close enough in terms of talent, impact, chemistry in the locker room, everybody's had that 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 glue guy secondary star to kind of hold the fort keep everybody together and contribute on a nightly basis is ben simmons capable of being that player we could sit here kevin and we could trash him all we want on this podcast but in reality it's not like the dude doesn't have the talent to put the work in to step up and be that player because he's proven even in playoff games that he can do it it's a mentality and everyone wants to say that like he's a pass first guy he's a playmaker he looks to get everybody else involved that's fine you can be that player but 
if you attack and you look to consistently get in the paint, make the defense pay attention to you, that opens up your playmaking in so many other ways. And the fact that he Ben Simmons didn't even want to attack and penetrate on a consistent basis, that's what hurt him the most. It's not just that he won't shoot an open three when he has it or he has this amazing pull-up mid-range jump shot in his bag. It's not those things. We've talked about this a million times, Kevin. It's his mentality and his mindset of just being aggressive, wanting to go to the rim. And when you are aggressive consistently, whether you miss a shot that you take or a dunk or whatever, or you make it, just putting that pressure brings the defense's attention your way, brings a potential double team because of the size that you are, 6'10", 240 pounds. Generally, there's not an individual matchup that's going to stay in front of you and be able to body up with you when you bring the double having the passing ability that Ben Simmons does, the court vision, the ability to whip a ball wherever he needs to, to the open man. He creates more open three-point shots than any other player in the NBA. If you're aggressive and you're putting that pressure on, it's only going to accentuate that part of your game. And, and when you get to the point where you don't take an, I don't want to hear the excuse about Gallinari might have blocked that dunk last night. When you get to the point where you can't even take the open dunk that's right in front of you, I don't know what else there is to say anymore. Like when Joel Embiid made that comment in the press conference last night, Kevin, before I toss it back over to you, like when Joel Embiid even pointed that out, that was the turning point in the game. When he saw that, when the open dunk was passed up for the pass to Thibault that led to a foul, then you put a free throw shooter who Thibault isn't terrible, but like, yeah, chances are he's probably not going to make two of two every single trip down at the line. So when you, have that situation you come away with only one point yeah what else is there to say like i i I don't have any words for that kevin i don't i don't know if you necessarily do or not either like that's how flabbergasted i am from the situation yeah i just want to kind of echo your point like we like ben simmons we both want Mm -hmm. ben simmons to succeed and he has so much talent but like i've been saying this for years i think i've said on the podcast before i know we've talked about it countless times in personal he hasn't shown very much improvement since his rookie year. Like, he's gotten a little bit better at passing. He's definitely gotten better at defense. But offensively, he really hasn't improved enough. And he can't be a second fiddle. He's not a Wade to LeBron. He's not a Pippen to Jordan. I just... And he could be. And that's what makes it so frustrating. He could be that good. But I... But going back to the Philly game, I don't think he was the only issue. I mean, obviously, uh, Tobias Harris missed a lot of shots. He didn't look very good all series. I mean, Embiid looked like a monster playing with the torn meniscus, so give him credit. I mean, I think that's going to endear him to Philly fans a lot more than he already was. Because I know I've heard rumors about how people are mad at him for, like, always being injured and not being tough enough. He proved how tough he was this series. Well, by by the way, you want to talk about Embiid and anyone who says, wants to point out the fourth quarter statistics for Embiid or like him not being as good at the end of some of these games. He's literally handed them games to just finish on a silver platter, especially game five. Forget that Embiid didn't have it in him to come out there and finish that game because he is playing on a torn meniscus. They had an 18-point lead at the end of the third quarter and be literally handed them that game on a silver platter and said, guys, just finish this game. I I, I might not be 100%. He, clearly, that was evident in his play, but like, 
the, the, the level that he did play at for those first three quarters, that's the message that he likely sent. I took it that way. The like, the game can speak for itself. Like, all you got to do is just close it out, play tough defense, make enough shots to get out of that game, even if they don't finish the game blowing the Hawks out, just get out of there with a win. He did what he had to do for three quarters. He's playing at, 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 on an injured knee. Like, the amount that, that you said, Kevin, the, the toughness and the grit that he's shown to play through that injury and give everything he had on the court. When he made that comment last night in the press conference, he gave it everything he had in the series. I truly believe him. I 100% believe him. So he did his job in this. I don't want to hear anything from anybody about Embiid not showing up in fourth quarters. He played fantastic this whole series. Yeah, game five was a game where it was only him and Curry who had a shot in the second half, right? Like, that's just unexcusable. Yep. It's just, man. I mean, I don't think your championship window is closed, even if you keep Ben Simmons, but I just, it worries me. And I think this offseason has to be the turning point for him. Because if he doesn't turn around this offseason with Ben Simmons, I just, I don't know what his future holds because he's always going to be an all-NBA defender, right? That's not, no one's going to take him away from that. He's a very good defensive player. But so in today's... So there is, ahead, there is a silver lining. There is a silver lining to this. Um, when you listen to him speak in the press conference last night, you watch that press conference, he clearly had tears in his eyes. He especially had tears in his eyes when they asked somebody asked him the question, like, do you think you've played your last minutes in Philadelphia? Do you want to be here in Philadelphia next year? And he was clearly distraught and upset over those questions. At the same time, I'm glad that those questions were asked because I think that Ben needed to hear that. Ben needed to hear that at that time. And I think the only way that this situation gets better for Philadelphia fans is if Ben Simmons, obviously he has to commit to doing the work this offseason, but it would be who of him to come out and just say, I'm sorry, I messed up. Clearly, I haven't done enough to better my game over the last few years, but I can promise you that I'm going to put in the work needed this offseason to come back and make sure that doesn't happen again. If he could come out and give some sort of statement, not 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 those exact words for word, but some statement like that, I think that would bode well for his, his, his well-being, himself, mentally. I think that would be a huge step of courage for him. I think it would bode well for the Philadelphia fan base, and I think it would definitely help the national media get off his back a little bit. And, and similar to how they ended up doing for Markel Fultz, just rooting for him and wanting him to succeed, I think doing something like that would, would go a long way to restore faith in, in everyone else, not necessarily just his teammates and the coaching staff around him. Yeah, no, I agree completely. I just think action speaks louder than words when it comes to that. I mean, there's an interview oh, no, floating agree. around, I think it was 2018, where there was a hack of Ben game, and he was like, oh, this is not going to be a problem for long. I'm going to get this figured out. And he never got it figured out. Atlanta exposed it way more than it has been exposed in a few years, but this has always been an issue for him. I, I just, Correct. I think the difference would be like if he comes out and he specifically says, "Yeah, it's this is my fault. I'm sorry. I messed yeah. up. I'm going to fix it." Exactly. He, he needs not, to own not it. Not just I'm going to fix it. Not to to own it and say yeah. I messed up. Hmm. That takes a big person to, but to, to say those words. As much as I'd love to continue talking about fixes, I think we should move on to 
the Hawks and the Bucks. It's going to be a really interesting matchup. Well, we do, because as much as we can talk about the different parts of the 76ers that blew that series, whether that was Doc's rotations, whether that was Ben Simmons' poor play, Tobias Harris's poor play at times, the Atlanta Hawks also won the series. And I said that on social media last night um, a- a- after the last game. They came out, they put a walloping on Philadelphia at times with some of the leads that they were able to generate. And then ultimately their confidence and their play down the stretch, being able to make shots in different situations against one of the better defensive teams in the NBA. And spoiler alert, they're going up against another fantastic defensive team in this upcoming series against the Milwaukee Bucks, um, who have quote unquote struggled at times offensively, although they still have Giannis Antetokounmpo, who is going to be a mismatch nightmare for some of those Atlanta Hawks defenders. So they will have a go-to scoring option um, to, to point towards if Giannis wants to take on the challenge, remains aggressive, and is going to drop 40-plus points or 35-plus points or whatever the case may be, those high scoring numbers like he did against Brooklyn. If he does the same thing against Atlanta, I feel pretty confident about Milwaukee's chances. But the Atlanta Hawks still finished for this postseason right now, they sit in the top 10 in points per possession and pick and roll and transition play types offensively. Um, they're 10th in spot up shooting, 11th in isolation offense. So they're, they're, they're not terrible in any particular area. They're not necessarily great offensively at a lot on a consistent basis, but they have enough diversity in their offensive attack, especially with Trey Young at the helm, his confidence the fact that we can speak to confidence, how last night he had, a, he had a poor shooting performance, yet he came out and he still led that team, hit one of the biggest shots of the night. And that belief in yourself to just keep going, I wish some of the other players on the 76ers would have had that. And that can be a difference maker in a series against a really good team, even against Milwaukee. Like, I don't know how you feel, Kevin. I'll, I'll get your prediction here, but... I, I have Bucks in seven, and we'll get into a little bit of like, like some of the defensive stuff, how Atlanta's been faring in this postseason, but I want to get your prediction. I have Bucks in seven, but I don't think it's impossible that the Atlanta Hawks can't win this series and go to the finals. Can I tell you the, uh, the X factor real quick? Sure. What worries me the most is if this was before the playoffs started, I'd probably pick the Bucks in five, right? Yep. And it hurts me to say this because I love this player, right? His wife is a former U.S. Women's National Team player. Love Lord Holiday. But Drew has really shot the ball really bad the last few games. It was bad in that last game against Yeah, Yeah, I mean, even in game six, he was 8 for 21 with 1 out of 10 for three-point land. Like, he just hasn't looked great, and it hurts me. Because he's still been fight on defense, right? He's still going to give you positive defense. But... If he doesn't get hot, not even hot, if he doesn't, like, regress back to his average, Atlanta could very well take the series. Atlanta can shoot lights out. Trey Young can get hot. Uh, Bogdanovich can get hot at times. Uh, Kevin Horder can get hot. I mean, we saw that in Game 7. He had the best game of his career, right? I just, so, I'm still going to pick the Bucks in 6, but it would not surprise me if Atlanta won. So here's how you beat Atlanta on defense, because for, you you wouldn't think that the Atlanta Hawks were like a top four team in total defense in the postseason right now by 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 synergy numbers, right? But they have been. 
because they're first in defending isolations, they're fourth defending in transition, they're fifth defending spot-ups. So they're keeping guys in front of them, and they're not letting anyone take easy advantage of them in one-on-one situations. So how do you counter that? You get guys moving on offense. You get shooters running off screens. You involve people in handoff actions. And that comes down to how active Giannis is going to be making everyone else's lives lives easier. He's going to have to dominate. He needs to take advantage of switches. He needs to get downhill, bully in the paint, have him set screens kind of like he was doing in the last series, use the threat of a roll off of a handoff at the top of the key to set something up for Drew or Chris to make a play and get their shooters moving to get open. Just don't resort to the heavy isolation stuff. And I understand that when you get down to the postseason, it's a half-court game. Everybody's playing tight. Like, unfortunately, that's just what it comes down to is how good of spot-up shooting or isolation shot-making do you have around you? And credit the Hawks, they've had plenty of it this postseason. That's a big reason why they beat the Philadelphia 76ers. Bogdanovich, his his health is definitely a question, but Bogdanovich has stepped up. We know what Trey's capable of. Kevin Herter, shout out to Kevin Herter, a draft keeper favorite. He's had a huge postseason, especially in that closeout game last night against Philly. He hit a ton a ton of big shots down the stretch. John Collins has been hitting jumpers off the bounce and, and, and being an active presence offensively. Like they have so, Lou Will, you, you throw Lou, Lemon Pepper Lou in there too. Like they have so many different weapons that they can come at you with who can make jump shots from wherever they need to on the court. Um, but Milwaukee doesn't always have those guys. Chris Middleton's hit a lot of big shots. Giannis is not someone you want taking jump shots in isolation. You mentioned Drew Holiday has been incredibly cold. They have other guys who can step up and hit three-point shots if they're created properly for them, but it's going to take getting a little more creative on offense than just handing somebody the ball and saying, here, dribble, dribble, dribble the the, the living air out of it and, and, and go hit a tough jump shot. Like If that's how you're going to play against this Hawks defense in particular – you're not going to come out of the series in a good spot. So it's not just about Giannis attacking. It's about how can he be creative with his screen setting, his, his, his the threat of him being a role man. How can Bud and the Bucks get very creative on offense or else it, it could potentially be an even shorter series than, than we're picking. That's why I don't want to just throw Atlanta out as a threat. Like they, they are a legitimate team. Let, let me pose this question to you too. If it's been a wide criticism of being holder for a long time, Let's look at game seven minutes. Giannis played 50 minutes. Middleton played 52. Holiday played 48. Lopez played 46. That's a tough seven-game theory they just played. Are they going to have the legs for this series? Not that Atlanta didn't have seven-game theories too, but Trey Young is young. Or Trey, yeah, he's young. Like, I, I just, I worry about the Bucks' longevity in the series a little bit because I just think they're going to be tired. They get no break. Not, ha- not having Dante hurts. Yeah. Like, that really hurts. You can tell that it hurts. Um, yeah, when you're basically playing that short rotation of six to seven guys, you, you want to have a shorter rotation in the playoffs, but that is the other thing about it is that you're playing these guys heavy minutes, and if these series are going six or seven games consistently, that that that's not a formula for success. Now, thankfully, I, I know that you're not thankful for this, Kevin, but thankfully for the Bucks, if you're a Bucks fan – they took care of the heat in short order so that that extended series against Brooklyn doesn't hurt them as much as if Miami would have taken them to six or seven games. Then you're compounding the level 
that they had to play at to ultimately beat Brooklyn, despite Brooklyn being shorthanded at times, like Kevin Durant, still Kevin Durant. They have capable shot makers all over the place. That was a really tough series for Milwaukee. So it, had they not beaten Miami as quickly as they did, like I, I would consider picking Atlanta as like the favorite, the, the, the outright favorite in the series because of how well they played. And the other thing too, to, to, to talk about youth, Definitely comes into play in the postseason if you don't have the requisite experience um, to, to take on some of these more veteran-laden teams who are well-prepared, who have been in these situations before. That can hurt. But it doesn't hurt as much, or maybe at all, if you have the confidence to go out there and do the job that needs to be done. We know Trey Young has it. Kevin Herter has looked like he has it. Bogdanovich wants to shush the crowd as much as Trey. He doesn't give a shit. Like. These guys are not afraid, and they have a coach in Nate McMillan who was a veteran NBA point guard. He's been there before. He knows how to run an offense. He knows how to motivate guys to play hard on defense. Like The Hawks are not going to be scared of the Bucs, and I think this is going to be an incredibly entertaining Eastern Conference Finals. Would we love to see like a Nets-Sixers Eastern Conference Finals? Sure. That, that, that's where the, the quote-unquote majority of the star power is. But I do think ultimately – I think we have the two best teams in the Eastern Conference, at least in this particular postseason, maybe not next year, but at least in this time right now, I do think we have the two best teams playing each other. And I can't wait to watch the basketball that, that's going to ensue. So you're taking you're taking Bucks in six, right, Kevin? Uh you know, I really want to pick Atlanta, man. I want to I want to I want to pick, pick Atlanta so bad, I'm but my gonna, head I'm is telling me no. I'm not going to pick Atlanta in, in like less than seven games. Like if I pick Atlanta, mm. like I think it's going the distance regardless. Yeah. I'm going to stay with Milwaukee in seven because shout out to Steve mm. Sabatini over at the overstated NBA show. Biggest Bucks fan I know. He deserves mm. this for the turmoil that that team's been through the last few years. But listen, man, if you want to pick Atlanta. No, I'm going no, I'm to I'm do it. Atlanta in six. Atlanta, Atlanta in six? Man, I just have a feeling, man. Also, so can I, I – you, you brought up this point about Nate McMillan. Can we just talk about how happy we are for him getting another shot? Well, I don't think he should have got fired from Indiana. No, he should have never been fired from Indiana. They were idiots to, to, to fire him. I'm so uh, happy for him, man. I, 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 don't, I don't usually build this podcast as a brand to, to trash anyone or, or say a lot of negative about anyone, but like that Indiana front office to get rid of him, he was not the problem for no. that team. And they are, they are probably feeling really stupid right now watching Nate have this level of success in Atlanta. And yeah. I, if I were him, I would want to stay in Atlanta, but even if he doesn't want to stay in Atlanta, like he's proven he, he should have any, any job at this point. That's yeah. Open. I mean, he, he could very well move on to Dallas. If he wanted to, you could be in that coaching search, maybe even Boston. Right. Back I mean, I think, I think staying in Atlanta would be better. Luka in back to back years. That would be That's funny. But yeah, absolutely. Hats off to Nick McMillan. He's done an incredible job down in Atlanta. And like I said, I can't wait to watch that series. Um, again, like I said, we're recording this on June 21st. We've already gotten a taste of Suns Clippers. Um, the Suns came out without Chris Paul, the Clippers without Kawhi. So it's basically a wash. You, everyone wants to use the injury excuse, but in terms of talent missing, it's basically a wash. So you have the Clippers, who looked incredibly capable of going the distance to the finals in their series against the Utah Jazz. They closed that out incredibly well. 
Paul George, and I'll, I'll let you talk about Paul George, Kevin, but Paul George has dispelled a lot of negative notions this postseason. Reggie Jackson has made a ton of big and clutch shots. Um, Terrence Mann played out of his mind against Utah in game six. He's really stepped up. Um, Morris has has started to finally hit some more three balls. Um, he, he's seen the, the the ball go through the hoop a few times. And the Clippers are just playing together defensively as well. And that's something we haven't necessarily seen that much over these last few years. We talk about all the individual defensive talent that the Clippers have position by position, but now they're really starting to play together under Ty Lue. They're communicating with each other much better. The rotations on defense are a lot tighter. And and I, I am going to credit Ty Lue with that because that that's coaching. When you can bring people together who are individually talented and, and you can get them to mesh despite any potential egos that could exist, that's coaching. That's coaching a winning basketball team. And I love what I've seen from the Clippers this postseason. But that being said, I love the Phoenix Suns a lot more. And I, I you, Kevin, you know that we've talked about this in the podcast a ton. I said that whoever won Suns-Lakers was going to go to the finals. I still believe that. Phoenix is just too good of a team and i'll run through some of the numbers um but before i do that i'll give my pick regardless of how long cp3 is out i think this is suns in five games it's phoenix all the way to me this is a mismatch i don't know what your thoughts are kevin i don't know who you're taking in the series we haven't talked about it but who who are you picking to, to come out and represent the west in the finals okay let me caveat this with something i am a vocal paul george not hater just disappointed him a lot with how he plays. I want to give him his props, right? He played well. He balled out in that Utah series. I'm actually really happy because I like Paul George as a person. As a basketball player, I have issues because he doesn't live up to what he should at times, but he lived up to the name Paul George, and I just want to give him credit. But with that being said, I'm picking the Suns in four. I think the Clippers are about to get swept. <laughs> you think it's a sweep? I think it's a sweep. Wow. The Suns are just so much better. And Ty, Ty Lue definitely has proven that he is a capable coach in that Utah series, right? He went head-to-head with uh, Snyder, and he played, he coached well. But, man, this Suns roster is just so much better than a Clippers roster. It just is. So let's let's run through some of why exactly that is. So you, you heard me talk about how Atlanta wasn't necessarily, like, great in any particular offensive category, but they're at least good enough in a lot of different categories. So their offense can be versatile. And you see that in their shot making. Phoenix is like Atlanta's offense, also diverse and versatile, but on steroids. Because they have the shot makers who are excelling at such a high level. Like they are tops um, or, or close to the top in a lot of different categories. So they're fourth in total offenses postseason. Top six in six different play types per synergy, points per possession stats. And the, the other category where they're top 10 and they're eighth in isolation play. So that's, that's seven play types, whether top eight in, in, in terms of among the other postseason teams. That's absurd. Um, and and they, they just have too many shot makers. Um, e- even without CP3, they're still capable of scoring in different ways. Um, and, and albeit, those guys generally have defined roles, guys like DeAndre Aiden, Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, Cameron Payne. They generally have defined roles, but even those guys can do something else if the situation calls upon it. And that's why they're so dangerous of an offensive team. And Devin Booker, we knew Devin Booker was good. 
I, I honestly did not realize the kind of leap he was about to take. I mean, him, his comfort level hunting and probing for shots with the ball in his hands, it's been a welcome sight for that offense, especially without Chris Paul. But like his mid-range shot making, I tweeted this on the social media account. It got, got, got a good amount of love. Um, his, his, he's been putting on a masterclass in mid-range shot making. Like his mechanics, everything about his balance, his follow-through, the angles where he's taking those shots at. Again, the comfort level, I can't speak to that point enough. You can't be a good mid-range shooter without the confidence. Just how he's operating on the floor, it, it, it's on another level. And then DeAndre Ayton, we've kind of talked about this at different times throughout this postseason. But again, he's prioritized focusing on easy looks off the roll, putbacks, lob dunks, while playing excellent defense. And something else I tweeted too, his switching his ability to switch out on the perimeter and contain some of these other guards and wings has been absurdly good this postseason. I don't think it's garnered enough buzz other than people who have been watching really closely, but that also deserves to, to be praised. DeAndre Ayton defensively has come so much of a long way than what he was his rookie season for everyone in his rookie year who wanted to trash him, that he wasn't the, the level of defender that he should be with his size and his athletic capabilities. Well, now the mental part of the defensive game is really starting to catch up and he's able to apply those physical tools a lot more efficiently. And, and you're, you're seeing the results bear themselves out in this postseason. So I'm really happy for him. Um, and even if CP three misses a few games here, when he comes back, I mean, you want to talk about they're already over the top. He significantly puts the team over the top because of what he can also do, playing out of different pick-and-roll sets and isolation, picking apart the Clippers. I mean, his, Chris Paul's play with DeAndre in this postseason has been remarkable, especially in their pick-and-roll game. Like, the Suns don't have – I mean, the, the Clippers don't have an answer for DeAndre Ayton at all whether he's posting up, whether he's going up for some of those easy shots, where him acting as a role man, they don't have another big body who can compete with him right now, period. Like, they don't have an answer for him. So, like, if you're the Suns, that takes so much pressure off of some of those perimeter shot creators because they don't have to feel like they need to do every single thing themselves. If a play's not there, they can dump it down to the big man, live with the two that he's probably going to get, and at least you go back to the other end motivated on defense because you got a bucket. You got something. Even if it wasn't a, an awesome three-point shot or some Devin Booker mid-range pull-up that's going to ignite the crowd, you at least go back on the other end with points. And that that matters. Three is greater than two, but if you can't get the three all the time and you can get the two, do it. And that's something that the Suns have really taken advantage of this postseason. And it speaks volume to the level of coaching and the level of maturity that they've shown from, from Monty down to Chris Paul, down to book and through the rest of the team. So yeah, that that's why the Suns are so good. They have so many ways they can hurt you. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I mean, their nine man rotation last night was just, everybody played great. Sarge played his part when he came in. Uh, Tory Craig played wonderful. Cam Johnson played great. Campaign did a great job filling in for CP3. The team's just good. You can tell they're a very well-coached team that understand their win conditions. And if you can understand your win conditions in an NBA playoff game, it really sets you up for success. And the other part that's crazy, too, is that we talk about some of these stats, especially offensively when it comes to points per possession. The Clippers are first in total offense, despite some of these woes that they have, particularly like in these early games and like games one and two of these series, they pull it together and they can eviscerate 
teams at times. Um, they're, they're first in spot-up scoring thanks to a lot of timely shot-making and self-creation from Kawhi when he's been healthy, Paul George we talked about, Reggie Jackson, Terrence Mann. Um, they found success also in off-ball play types when given the opportunity to cut, get an easy putback, etc. And it's really a similar game plan to, to how the Clippers have to operate if they want to beat the Suns in this series. They have to take advantage and, and, and get creative on offense, similar to what I was talking about with the Milwaukee Bucks. The Clippers have to do the same thing because if it's just isolation shot making, right, if they're just trying to match Phoenix shot for shot, I, I, I trust, even though the Clippers are first in total offense, I just trust the Suns players more to hit those big shots down the stretch when, when it comes to it than some of these other Clippers guys. I, I, I trust not only the fact that they can pull up and create something better for themselves, but that they're going to have two guards in, in, in Book and CP3 to create something excellent for some of those other shooters like Bridges and Johnson and Payne. So, yeah, I just trust the Suns to execute much better down the stretch. And it's crazy that you go against the, the team that's been the best offensively, really, for the, the majority of the regular season and then even in the postseason here. But, like, that's that's just how much I believe in this Phoenix Suns team. And and, and I agree, Kevin. I'm, I'm not going to pick a sweep. I think the Clippers are probably going to get one of those games at home. But I, some people were surprised when I was talking in more private circles that I thought that this series wasn't going to be particularly close in terms of, games won and lost like i think phoenix is just that much better of a team and i they're my favorite to 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 win the finals at this point how, how do you feel about their their championship hopes kevin yeah i mean i think their biggest threat with could be brooklyn and now that brooklyn's out i mean i think the suns have to be favorite and i think the people who don't value the suns as much as the clippers like like you said you've ha- talked in private about how they think they're gonna be a close series i think that's strictly name recognition i guess that Paul George is a big name, and it's an L.A. team, right? Just because they're in Phoenix doesn't mean they're not talented and well-coached. I mean, that team is just... I mean, we could have an hour-and-a-half-long podcast about how much we love the Phoenix Suns, right? <laughs> and, I, and I think it would really fill out quite nicely. But, man, I just... I don't see what team can put enough together to beat Phoenix in a series, especially when Chris Paul gets healthy and starts playing. And this week-long break that he got between games because they were the only team that, like, beat their opponent really quickly, that's going to be huge. Chris Paul got an extra week to just sit around and heal. That cannot be, like, emphasized enough as such a huge talking point of success for them. Couldn't agree more, man. And, and you're right. We could do, like, an hour and a half, two-hour-long podcast on, on just the Suns, and who knows, if they win the finals, maybe we'll get to do that. I don't know, but... Um, it's pretty cut and dry for our pick right there. So I'm picking the Bucks, you're picking the Hawks, and we're both picking the Suns. And that's how us at Draft Deeper see these conference finals series playing out. So we'll have to see if we're right or wrong. I was on a pretty good streak of, of having the playoffs really figured out up until the, the this last round. Some of these upsets really hurt me, but they're they're well deserved. Hats off to Atlanta, Milwaukee, the Clippers, and the Suns for making it to the respective conference finals. Well done by all four teams. And just because we don't have some of the biggest of names playing in the postseason right now, that doesn't mean the basketball is not going to be fantastic. That 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 level of comment is BS. These games are going to be absolutely fun to watch. 
I can't wait to watch all of it. I can't wait till we get to the finals, but that's going to wrap up our conference finals preview for this episode. So we thank you all again for listening. If you haven't followed us on Twitter yet at draft deeper, what are you doing? Please follow us over there. We're always talking basketball, talking the playoffs, talking the NBA draft, what this podcast is really known for subscribe wherever you get your podcast, Apple podcast, Spotify, YouTube, and certainly keep locked in. We are in right in the thick of draft season. We have plenty of content coming this week. We'll do a lottery live reaction podcast. We have an interview coming out later this week with Matt Coleman, former Texas point guard prospect heading into this year's NBA draft. He'll be joining us on the podcast. So, so much content planned after that as well. So stay tuned, stay locked in, appreciate these wonderful playoff games we have in front of us and have a wonderful rest of your week.